today. The episodes dropped the last Monday. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. Welcome to the Matt Forgot That Podcast, the place to recollect and reminisce. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to rewatch and review a movie or TV pilot that I've seen before, but don't quite remember. It could be a blockbuster, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions for the podcast, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Before we start, I had planned on watching a different movie this episode, but I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife this week, which I generally enjoyed, and it made me want to watch a movie with Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and that crew. But my thoughts... Ghostbusters Afterlife is a good addition to the canon of the franchise. It's a handing of the baton movie, and I'm hopeful that a whole new generation will watch and enjoy these films the way my friends and I have. Now, I know many people rag on the female Ghostbusters movie, and there are some criticisms to be had, but objectively, it's not a bad movie, folks. It just doesn't have that link to the originals that I think fans wanted. And just maybe people didn't like it for the fact that they believe Hollywood went woke by casting all women. The industry certainly does push for more inclusivity. Heavens to Betsy. But if that's the only reason you didn't like the movie, you might want to rethink what you're objecting to. Back to Afterlife. I thought it started out a little slow when establishing all the new characters, their relationships, and quirks. But once they discover the Ecto-1 and the history of the original Ghostbusters, it started to pick up a little steam. I imagine if they do sequels, they'll jumpstart the action a little quicker. They kinda made Egon Spengler out to be a bit of a douche, and even though they reconcile that in the end, he still kinda looks like a bit of a douche. I think the film receives mostly positive reviews for the ending, It was truly satisfying, and seeing the original Ghostbusters together was a nice touch. That's not a spoiler, unless you've been under a rock. I do look forward to future installments in the series. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fare. Four stars Worth Checking Out. And five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca or Jaws or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Stripes from 1981. It was directed by Ivan Reitman, who helmed Meatballs, Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Dave, Jr., and the aforementioned Ghostbusters. That's a pretty impressive list. The screenplay was co-written by Lee Blum, who scribed Private Parts and The Pink Panther. Whoa, 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 don't get too excited. It's the Steve Martin version. Daniel Goldberg, known for heavy metal and feds. And, of course, Harold Ramis, comedy icon of Meatballs, Caddyshack, Back to School, Ghostbusters, and Animal House. 
The cinematography was captured by Bill Butler, whose filmography includes Anaconda, Flipper, and Jaws. Apparently, he only works with animals. He was nominated for Best Cinematography at the 1976 Academy Awards for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It was co-edited by Harry Keller, known for Stir Crazy and The Man Who Wasn't There, Ava Ruggiero, who worked on Heavy Metal and The Manitou, and Michael Luciano, who was nominated for a Best Film Editing Oscar for The Longest Yard, The Dirty Dozen, The Flight of the Phoenix, and Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte. The score was composed by Elmer Bernstein, who wrote the music for True Grit, The Magnificent Seven, Birdman of Alcatraz, and won the Academy Award for Best Music, Original Music Score for Thoroughly Modern Millie. He had a 50-year career with over 250 credits. There's no soundtrack per se, but the soldiers do sing a couple of songs from the 50s and 60s on their marches. This is what I remember. I remember the stars of the movie. That's a good start. Though I had forgotten many of the talented supporting cast, which I'll review in a bit, there was a scene where Bill Murray and Harold Ramis sneak out of the barracks at night and are met by two women. A jeep was involved. It's all very vague. As Bob Mortimer once said, my memories of this are a bit sketchy, like fingerprints on an abandoned handrail. I do remember the graduation ceremony pretty distinctly and look forward to seeing it again. Now, I'm heading off to watch the movie. This is what I forgot. John Winger is a down-on-his-luck cab driver in New York City. He's just been bilked for a ride by young hooligans when he is hailed by a snobby, demanding woman, who he decides to have a little fun with. After she insults his station in life, he decides to abandon the cab and throw away the keys into the river, walking away from his job. Meanwhile, Russell Ziski is an English-as-a-second-language instructor, though it's his first time teaching the class. He comes to discover that the only words some of the adult students know are curses. Rather than teach them useful phrases, he uses them as background singers for a rendition of Da Do Ron Ron. As John returns home, he realizes his car is being repossessed due to late payments. He tells his girlfriend Anita that he's quit his job and going to straighten out his life, but she counters that he's been saying that for six months now, and he still sleeps until noon, watches cartoons, and she no longer considers it cute. She wants to be with someone who grows, and breaks up with him before leaving. Russell visits John at his apartment. They drink beer and watch television when a commercial for the army comes up, and John comments, This doesn't look bad. He mentions that he's always thought about joining and convinces Russell to come along with him to the recruitment office. John Winger is portrayed by Bill Murray, who starred in Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, Caddyshack, and was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Lost in Translation. Russell Ziski is played by Harold Ramis, known for Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, Baby Boom, and writer of Meatballs, Caddyshack, Back to School, and Analyze This. After they enlist into the Army, they meet military police officers Stella Hansen and Louise Cooper, who instructs new recruits where to go. They're played by PJ Souls, totally known for Halloween, Carrie, and Private Benjamin, and Sean Young of Blade Runner and Ace Ventura Pet Detective fame. John and Russell arrive to basic training at Fort Arnold. They meet Sergeant Hulka, who takes an immediate dislike to John when he makes a sarcastic comment and instructs him to do 50 push ups. 
The drill sergeant has the unenviable task of shaping this merry band of slackers into fine United States soldiers. Will John and Russell turn their lives around, or go AWOL? Stripes is a lot funnier than I remember. As it's from 1981, it's definitely not politically correct, and there are a few jokes that I'm sure someone will be offended by, even the tamest of ones. My favorite scene is in the apartment when Russell Ziski challenges John Winger to do five push-ups, with the bet being a whopping $3. It felt like the scene was improvised because you could tell Harold Ramis was having fun with it. As a side note, John says, I'll be dead before I'm 30. I know this was the 80s and people weren't taking great care of themselves, but Bill Murray has never looked under 30. I guarantee there are baby pictures where he has the same hairline. Speaking of, there's a scene where they shave all the new recruits' hair. There are certain sacrifices I would make for a part, but I'm never shaving off my hair. As long as I have it, I'm going to cherish it. I have to mention some of the supporting cast because there are some solid actors in it. Judge Reinhold from Beverly Hills Cop, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Gremlins, John Larroquette of Night Court, Summer Rental, and Madhouse fame, and of course John Candy from Uncle Buck, The Great Outdoors, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Spaceballs. He had many contributions to this film, but most notably, he was one of the only actors who knew the lyrics to Do Wah Diddy Diddy and taught it to the other actors for the marching scene. And by the way, how could I forget the Duwa Diddy Diddy scene? I'm ashamed. The runtime is 1 hour 46 minutes. It had a budget of 10 million and grossed 85.3 million at the box office. It was nominated for nothing. It's still a hilarious movie, though. I'm not sure why it doesn't get talked about in the same breath as other 80s comedies, but I think the film holds its own. It does get a little slow in the third act, right after the graduation scene. It's entertaining, but it doesn't have the same amount of laughs as earlier. With all that being said, I give it 4 out of 5 stars. Add half a star if your favorite movie genre is comedy. Take off 1.5 stars if you've ever called for the cancellation of someone you didn't agree with. If you've seen Stripes and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattForgotThat. I'm going to end each podcast with clips that you might have forgotten. It could be movie trailers, music videos, commercials, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Forgot That Playback. Today I'm talking about Walk the Dinosaur. You heard that right. Walk the Dinosaur. It was a single released in 1987 that reached number 7 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles charts for the pop rock band Wes, in parentheses, not was. If you look at it, it's spelled was, not was, but actually spoken as was, with the first word rhyming with pass. That's why the not was is in parentheses. Always smart to name your band after something that needs to be explained. The group was formed by David Weiss and Don Faginson, who went under the stage names David and Don Wass. They released two previous albums, Wass, Not Was, in 1981, and Born to Laugh at Tornadoes in 1983. But it wasn't until 1988's What Up Dog, which sounds oh-so-natural coming out of my mouth, that they had their breakthrough into the mainstream. They found that perfect balance between pop, rock, and funk on that album. Walk the Dinosaur is an incredibly catchy song. The bass line has a great groove and fits right in the pocket. As a trumpet player, I appreciate the brass accompaniment, 
I'm not going to say that the song was responsible for the resurgence in popularity of dinosaurs, but the novel Jurassic Park was released in 1990, and the television series Dinosaurs premiered in 1991. It was also featured in the live-action version of The Flintstones in 1994. So, draw your own conclusions. It's a very niche song, not many uses in movies and television. I'd like to put it over a police chase scene of a drug bust gone wrong. Just for fun. No context at all. Have the audience look for deeper meaning and believe walk the dinosaur is a term for doing heroin. Now, there was an associated dance as demonstrated in the music video, but unfortunately, it did not catch on the way that the Macarena or Electric Slide or even Walking Like an Egyptian did. But I think it deserves to be brought back in an unironic way. The music video is available in the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. That's all for this edition of Matt Forgot That. Thanks for listening to me reminisce. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions for the podcast, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for all the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the rewatch and the review. They kind of made Egon Spengler to be out to be of a bit... And, of course, John Candy, from Uncle Buck, The Great Outdoors, Trains, Planes, and... That's not the movie. They meet military police officers Stella Hansen and Louise Cooper, who instructs new recruits where to go. They're played by P.G. Soul... P.G. They're... Rather than teach them useful phrases, he uses them as background singers for a rendition of Do Run Run Run. How many runs was in there? (laughs) And, of course, Harold Ramis, comedy icon of Meatballs, Caddyshack, Back to the Future. Nope, not him. As a trumpet player, I really appreciate the brass accompaniment. Did I I just say that right? (laughs) Have to play that back.